So uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, we're working our way through this book. We're going to be at the end of uh, chapter 1, first part of chapter 2. Before we um, read it, I want to just ask you a question to kind of get your mind in the direction that we're going to be talking about this morning. So here's the question. Do not answer out loud. (laughs) When you look in a mirror, how do you feel about the person you see? I'm not just talking about that that quick glance to, you know, make sure you are looking reasonably acceptable before you venture outside. I mean, when when you really think about it, or forget the mirror, just a time of reflection of an evaluation of self-assessment, how does that leave you feeling? Okay, hold that thought, and uh, I'll come back to it in a minute. The book of 1 Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a group of Jesus believers, Jesus followers, much like this church um, in a place called Corinth. The church of Corinth had some serious problems. We're going to be seeing them as we go along, but... Their, their obvious problems were really the symptoms of a much deeper problem, and that's what I've uh, chosen to call do-it-yourself spirituality. And uh, to kind of get a handle on what that means, um, if you think of Proverbs 3, 5, this, this is one of the ways true spirituality is explained to us in the Bible. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, wholehearted trust in the Lord, and do not lean on your own understanding. See how those things are set in opposition? You can't do both. But do-it-yourself spirituality switches it around and basically says, lean on your own understanding and do not trust in the Lord with all your heart. It is basically trying to answer life's big questions yourself instead of relying on what God has told us about those big questions of life. It is defining what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what isn't, what's important, what isn't. It's defining all that by what makes the most sense to you while leaving God out of the equation. It's it's trying to be a good person. Most people do try to be a good person, but it's trying to be a good person basically by your own efforts, by relying on yourself and not relying on what Jesus has done for you and wants to do in you in the days to come. Do-it-yourself spirituality is very common, but it's a trap. It is a trap that leads to all kinds of heartache, misery, and God has given us this book so that we could avoid that trap. But in order to avoid the trap, you have to recognize it. So we've been looking at some defining characteristics or some symptoms of what do-it-yourself spirituality looks like so that we can know it when we see it. And we've looked at two symptoms so far. Today we're going to look at another one, chapter 1, verse 26, down through chapter 2, verse 5. So follow along as I read. 
This is, again, the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in a place called Corinth. He says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. That is, when you became part of God's family, when you heard and responded to the gospel of Jesus. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential or powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, in in relationship with, in community with Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear, with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So the third symptom of a do-it-yourself spirituality, I'm going to say it like this, it's being impressed or depressed by your strengths and weaknesses. Being impressed or depressed. So when you look in the mirror, either an actual literal mirror or the metaphor of just doing some self-examination, and you consider your strengths, because we all have some, and you consider your weaknesses, because we all have some, If that results in your feeling either impressed with yourself or depressed by yourself, that's a sign that you're slipping into a do-it-yourself spirituality. Because if you're impressed by yourself or depressed by yourself, it means you're really focusing on the wrong thing. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. When they looked at themselves, they were rather impressed with what they saw. They were proud of their spiritual strengths, uh, their wisdom. Did you notice how many times that word shows up here? That was one of their words. They were really into wisdom, you know, the Greek philosophy. They were, in their culture, you know, wisdom, being a wise guy. Uh, a wise person was, was uh, very valued. So their wisdom, they thought they were very wise. They were certainly proud of their spiritual gifts. We'll be getting to that later in the book. Their eloquence. They really believed that they had attained a higher spiritual level. They were living at a higher spiritual plane than ordinary Christians. But now the Apostle Paul 
who's one of Christ's chosen apostles, right? He's, he's one of the few that Jesus chose to communicate his message. When he looked at them, he was not impressed. Uh, because the very fact that they were impressed with themselves meant that they were seriously out of sync with the gospel, with the message of Christ and him crucified. Their, their thinking was not in line with the truth of the gospel. Notice how Paul starts. I love this. Brothers, think. I, I just almost want to stop there. I love that. That is such great advice. Think. We could avoid so many problems in life if we would just think carefully. Think in line with God's truth, in line with what he has told us. Now, these people are believers in Christ. Paul calls them brothers. Because when you put your faith in Jesus, you get adopted into God's family with everybody else that's in there. So Paul calls them brothers. They are believers. But they've gotten off track by thinking things that aren't true. They were, from all indication, all the evidence we have, they're trying to blend the good news of Jesus crucified, risen from the dead, coming again. They're, they're trying to blend that gospel with elements of Greek philosophy. And they thought they were pretty smart in doing so. They kind of thought they had, you know, figured things out that nobody else ever had. That's usually a bad sign. If you think... If you think you've discovered a truth about God that no one else ever saw before, you think you've figured out a, a, something about how to live life, no one else ever figured that out in the last 2,000 years, you probably want to reconsider. The Corinthians needed a major dose of humility, and Paul's about to give it to them. He says, come on, guys, think. Specifically, think about what you were when you were called. In other words, think about what you were like when you heard the good news of Jesus and believed. Do you remember, do you remember how there was, here's the humility part, there was literally nothing impressive about you? Not many of you were wise. Oh man, I just, that had to sting. Not many of you were wise in the world's eyes. Not many of you were influential or powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Look guys, when it comes to winners and losers as the world designates them, you know, the world puts people into two columns, winners, losers. Do you remember what column you were in? The L column. You're, nobody was impressed with you, including God. Your strengths, your wisdom, your abilities, your performance had nothing to do with you being adopted into God's family. So now for you to be all impressed with yourselves, your strengths and trying to impress other people, you're not thinking clearly. 
You're not thinking gospel-y. Is that a word? Your self-evaluation. Yeah, you're just not, you're not thinking right. Now, self-evaluation, there's a place for that. It's a good thing, or it can be. And elsewhere, Paul says, uh, examine yourself. So there's a place for it. And in fact, what he's doing here, he is basically challenging his readers to engage in healthy self-examination. You know, let, let's look at yourself accurately here. So it's a good thing, periodically, you know, to take inventory, kind of consider how you're doing. How are you doing? Are you, are you growing are you growing in your, your love for God, for Christ? Are you growing in your engagement in his mission? Are you growing in your love for people? Um, are, are you making progress? Where are you making progress and where aren't you? Where, where might some changes be needed? So it's, it's a good thing, periodically. Just like, you know, looking in the mirror once in a while is a good thing. Uh, but, you know, if you stood there and stared in the mirror... all impressed with your virtues or all, uh, you know, disgusted by your flaws. That's not healthy. We have a word for that. It's called narcissism. It comes from a Greek myth. Look it up. Guy's staring at his appearance. Self-examination can easily deteriorate into self-preoccupation. And that is not good. And the key, the key is to evaluate yourself in light of the gospel. When you evaluate yourself, do it in light of the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified for you. If you want to kind of add to the picture, when you look in the mirror, what you really need to do is visualize Jesus right there with you, with his nail-pierced hands on your shoulders and the look in his eyes. Paul says he resolved while he was with the Corinthians to make his message all about Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the thing. That was absolutely the thing that they must get. It's the thing they must know, the thing they must remember. Keep in mind, and that's true for you, the truth of God loving you and saving you from destruction because of your sin through the cross, through his son crucified for you, that enables you to look at yourself without pride because the son of God had to die for you to make you right with God. It enables you to look at yourself without pride and without despair because the Son of God willingly died to make you right with God. No pride, no despair. I want to I unpack that. I want to elaborate on that. I want to show you I want to show you what happens when you examine yourself in light of the cross. Actually, I want to show you what won't happen when you examine yourself in light of the cross. 
you won't be impressed by your strengths. When you examine yourself in light of the cross, you won't be impressed by your strengths. Paul's message, the message of the gospel, is a crucified Messiah. Messiah crucified. Christ crucified. Christ means Messiah. God's chosen one. God's anointed. Now, I think I mentioned this last time. That sounds, sounds like a complete contradiction in terms. Because Messiah means what? means winner, victor, triumphant hero, reigning king. Crucified? Loser. Failure. Criminal. See, these two terms don't go together, and Paul knows it because he's been saying the wisdom of the world will not help you. You need God's wisdom, and this is what it is. Crucified Messiah. What? And if that message means anything, it means that God does not value human strengths the way the world does. God does not classify winners and losers the way the world does. You take all the greatest rulers the world has ever known, from all the greatest empires, the most impressive elite people, are you talking about Rome or Babylon or Greece or Imperial Japan or Nazi Germany? You know, whatever big empires you want to think of and the most impressive leaders of those empires, and you put them all together. These are the people with all the wealth and all the power and all the influence to basically make everybody else do what they wanted. You put those all together, and God looks at them and says... I am not impressed at all. I am not impressed. In my eyes, losers. Jeremiah 9.23. This is what the Lord says. This is what Yahweh says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast. If you want to boast, boast about this, that, you, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. God says, verse 27 says that God chose, he chose the foolish things of the world. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about the Corinthians. And he's talking about us. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Wisdom and strength are good things, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's okay. You can, yeah. Wisdom and strength are good things. So why would God want to shame the wise? Why would God want to shame the strong? Well, it's because he's not talking about people who simply have wisdom or simply have strength, he's talking about people who trust in their wisdom instead of in God's wisdom. He's talking about people who rely on their strength instead of God's strength. They glory in their wisdom instead of God. They, they boast in their strength instead of God. And that is a shameful thing to do. 
Because if you do that, you're basically taking credit for a gift that God gave you. For some ability that God has given you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Your brain, your muscles, your lungs, your heart beating, every breath you take is an undeserved, unearned gift from God. You didn't invent those things. They were gifts from your generous creator. Chapter 7, no, chapter 4, verse 7. Paul's going to say this. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you didn't? Human ability. Human ability does not impress God. Why would it? You've got an ability. He gave it to you. Human ability doesn't impress God. Okay, what does? What impresses God? Impress, probably not the right word. What does God delight in? Not ability. Humility. Humility. Being humble enough to acknowledge him and that every gift you have is from him and then relying on him. Humility. Okay, look at Philippians 2.6. I, I talked about those whom God regards as losers. All the rulers who have relied on their own strength and boasted in their own strength and their power and you know forcing their will on everybody and they think they're so great and God says, nope, losers. Okay, who's... Who's the big winner? Who's the number one winner in all of history? This is it. This is, this is who? Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God. And I think that means here sharing the glory because prior to his coming, nobody knew really, that he was equal in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The most shameful death imaginable. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. To the glory of God the Father. He's Lord. And if he is, nobody else is. And so when you focus on him and what he did, when you remember his cross, it makes absolutely no sense to be impressed with your strengths. It makes no sense. Think of it this way. 
Here's the thought. Your strengths, whatever it is, you know, whatever your strengths are, maybe it's your, your intellect, you're really smart, or maybe it's your skill at something, maybe it's your looks, your strength. Your strengths could very well be your biggest obstacle to really knowing God. Why? Because it's so easy to rely on your strengths. And if you're relying on your strengths, you're not trusting Him. And if you're doing that, if you're doing that, you know what the best thing that could ever happen to you is? It would be for you to become ashamed of yourself and turn to Christ crucified for you. You know, not all shame is bad. Yeah, there are types of shame that are bad. There's shame that's not good. But not all shame is bad. The right kind of shame, oddly enough, will actually set you free from the wrong kind of shame. Let me explain. Most of the shame that we experience, I think I got this from Piper, John Piper. Most of the shame that we experience is, is not, the, not the good kind. Uh, and what I mean is, when we typically feel ashamed, we feel ashamed not because we made God look bad and we're concerned about his reputation. We're ashamed because we've made ourselves look bad. So we want, we want people to admire us. We want people to admire us, to think, oh, we're smart. Oh, we're strong. Oh, we're competent. And we want people to admire us. And, and then we go and we do something really stupid. And instead of people admiring us, they're laughing at us. Or they're mad at us. Or they're disgusted with us. And that's why we feel ashamed. But when we focus on Christ, when we focus on how strong He is, how competent He is, how loving He is, how beautiful He is, and we focus on admiring Him and pointing other people to admire Him, then it's not so catastrophic when we do something stupid because we don't need them to admire us. We want them to admire Christ. And so we can admit our failures. Yeah, yep, I blew it. And we can apologize and we can say we're sorry and we can we can do what we need to do to try to make it right and we cannot wallow in shame and self-pity why do we need to do that jesus has forgiven us jesus has accepted us jesus will use us for his glory and see when you're focused on his glory you can forget about yours and that brings me to the second thing that will not happen when you examine yourself in light of the cross is you won't be depressed by your weaknesses. I want to say this as directly and as clearly as I can. So if it hasn't come through yet, hopefully it will right now. Okay, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you, know, you, you have come into... The, what Paul talks about being in Christ, that is in relationship, in connection to Christ through faith. If that's you, 
God chose you. God chose you. Not merely in spite of your weaknesses, but because of them. Let me say it another way. God did not choose you because he looked at all your strengths, you know, put all your strengths on one side and then compare those to all your weaknesses and go, hmm, yeah, there's some pretty serious issues here. Yeah. But you know, all things considered, the strengths outweigh the weaknesses, so okay, you're in. That is not how it happened. That is not how it happened. You know what God really said? This is a paraphrase, obviously. But I think it captures what we're being told here. What God really said was something like this. I want people who will prove to the world that my love and my approval and being in my family has absolutely nothing to do with anyone's abilities or achievements or performance. I want the world's losers to show the world's winners that human merit means nothing to me. Nothing. So I'm going to intentionally pick people who are the least impressive and thereby rule out any possibility of anybody bragging that somehow they earned my approval. And what he's telling the Corinthians is, you guys are exhibit A. (laughs) Not many wise, not many strong, not many noble in that bunch. You guys are not impressive. And then you know what he does? This shows his humility. He puts himself forth as exhibit B. Look at me. Remember what I was like when I came to you? Weakness. Fear and trembling. My words were not all polished. My delivery was not impressive. Do you know why you guys became believers in Jesus? It wasn't because of my power or the power of my tongue. It was the power of God's Spirit. That's how you became believers. So I'm exhibit B, Paul says. And you know who you are? If you're a believer in Jesus, you're exhibit C. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Your weakness... Your weakness does not disqualify you from God using you. In fact, your weaknesses are the very thing God delights to use so that the glory goes to his son. That's where he wants it. God delights to use our weaknesses to magnify the worth of his son. It's his strength it's his wisdom it's his power it's his grace that changes people's lives verse 30 it is because of him that you are in christ jesus 
It is because of him. Now, that's really humbling, and it's so liberating. All right, savor that thought for a minute. It is because of him that you're in God's family. You know what that means? It means it's not because of you. It's because of him. All right, let me ask you a question. Again. Um, And again, don't answer out loud. If you belong to Jesus today, if you've put your trust in him, you've become part of his family, does that just blow you away? Does that astonish you that you're in? Does it amaze you that God accepted you? Because it should. That because of Jesus, God considers you. If you are a genuine believer, you put your trust in Christ, God considers you because of Jesus. He considers you righteous. He considers you holy. He considers you redeemed, set free. And that now that's your calling to live as someone who is holy and righteous and redeemed. Does that just amaze you? Because it should. And the other thing it should do is set you free from any despair because of your weaknesses. Your weaknesses don't disqualify you. They qualify you. And your strengths, well, this should set you free from any pride you might feel in your strengths because your strengths don't qualify you. The truth of Christ crucified should set you free from any preoccupation with self at all. So, absolutely, do self-examination, self-evaluation periodically. Do it rigorously, but always and only in light of the cross. When you look at yourself, see those crucified hands holding you. Look at those eyes. The one who chose you said, this one's mine. The one who said he would use his weaknesses your weaknesses, your weaknesses to magnify his strengths. See, at the cross, at the cross, there's no reason to be impressed by your strengths. At the cross, there is no reason, no reason to be depressed by your weaknesses. Focus on Christ and him crucified and risen, and coming again. Sure, evaluate yourself, but always in light of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. No boasting. No despairing. He gets the glory. Let's pray together. Father, what can we say? What can we say but thank you? 
And what can we say but help us? God, free us, free us from that trap of self-preoccupation. Free us from bragging, comparing ourselves to others, thinking we're better. Free us from despair, thinking we're hopeless. That is not what you've said. God, may we listen to what you say about us instead of what others or even our own hearts say about us. Help us trust in you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.